not sure what kind of Christmas traditions you have in your household, but my wife grew up uh, with the tradition that before they could open the gifts, they had to read the Christmas story. And uh, sometimes uh, Christine's dad, being a pastor, read the longest version possible. Maybe it seemed that way when they were kids waiting to open their gifts. But today I'm going to read the short version, and it's from Luke chapter 2, and it's just this very simple, pure telling Of the birth of Jesus. Luke chapter 2, beginning to read at verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in the cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. We love our traditions and the traditional telling of the Christmas story. Uh, I just read before I came to the service, we had a service at 4 p.m. and then this service. In between, I checked Facebook just to see what was happening because I don't want to stay out of touch too long, right? A little bit addicted. But anyway, I found out that one of our members in this congregation has a tradition that's lasted for 62 years, a sacred Christmas tradition. Every Christmas Eve, they cook steak for dinner. Who knew? That could be your new tradition, uh, as long as you're not vegan. But anyhow, that's, we have all kinds of traditions, and we have all kinds of traditions that have built up around the telling of the story as well. I love the kids retelling the story, remembering bits and pieces, getting some right, getting some like way off, a camel or a golf cart or something. And uh, it's wonderful to see how the story over the years gets told and retold. Every once in a while, though, we have to come back to the simplicity of what we find in the Bible because the reality is that some of the elements in the retelling of our story don't actually exist in the biblical story. The donkey, for instance, that might be a surprise to you, but the whole idea of the donkey and Mary comes much later in the writings, about 200 years after Jesus. Uh, But I love the donkey. 
And I know a lot of people do too, but it's not actually in the biblical telling of the story. Another person, the innkeeper, is not actually in the story. That might be a shock to you. I hope I haven't destroyed Christmas for all of you today. Perhaps you've heard it before. There's no actual innkeeper. It wasn't a Motel 6 that they actually went to. Now, I was sure that there was an innkeeper. In fact, my daughter, Triona, played the innkeeper in a school play. So I was sure that there was an innkeeper in the story. In fact, I tried, I won't tell you how long ago, to form a whole sermon around the innkeeper. And I went searching for his name. He has no name because he doesn't exist. But I gave him a name. Still, his name is Fred. In case you ever want to look up the innkeeper, his name is Fred. No, the reality is that according to Luke and the simplicity of the gospel, Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem. Why? Because it was his hometown. And when you go to your hometown, what do you do? You don't normally stay at a Hotel 6 or a Motel 6. You knock on a relative's door. And that's likely what happened with Mary and Joseph. They would have had relatives in town. The problem is, it sounds like the guest room, and that's the better translation of in, the guest room was full. It was already occupied. There was no room for Mary and Joseph in the guest room. But the houses of the time had kind of three levels. The middle level was where the family slept. The upper level was the guest room. But there was a lower level where they brought the animals in at night. And they didn't want to turn Mary and Joseph away, so what did they do? They kept them safe, actually, in the lower level because there was no room in the guest room. But it's interesting that Luke makes a point of saying that, doesn't he? He makes a point of saying this. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. There was no room for Jesus, which makes me begin to wonder and ask the question, why? Why was there no room for Jesus? And so I'm going to give you three quick answers to that, because every Baptist sermon has to have at least three answers. And so here's answer number one, and these are just sort of speculative and wondering and logic. Number one, and we've already said it, someone got there first, right? Someone beat them to the punch. The town was busy. Everybody was coming to register. And the guest room was busy and occupied because someone got there first. Reason number two, perhaps. Nobody knew they were coming. They didn't book online. They didn't go to rsv.com like you had to to get to the service tonight. Uh, there was no opportunity to tell them, hey, the most important event in the whole history of the world is about to happen. Can you spare us a room? That's my point, actually that all the people, none of the people, <laughs> realized the importance of what was happening with Mary and Joseph right at that time. And so they didn't recognize that they needed to make room for Jesus. Or maybe, just maybe, there's a third reason. Maybe they were actually rejected. I mean, think about it. Mary, it was a bit of a scandal, wasn't it? She was betrothed to Joseph, and she gets pregnant during that time. That's, that's grounds for divorce. Remember what Joseph was about to do? He was going to divorce Mary, but quietly. He didn't want to shame her, but he knew he had to divorce her until the angel comes along and says, no, take Mary to be your wife. But there's a bit of scandal around the story, and I wonder if some of the people in Joseph's hometown was like, 
We don't need that drama here. <laughs> don't bring that under our roof. And, uh, and that might have been part of it. Or maybe it was because they were from Nazareth. Nazareth had a bit of a bad reputation, kind of like being from Winnipeg. I'm from Winnipeg, so that's okay. Maybe they were from a place like Nazareth. Of course they were. But they had a bit of a reputation. Even in John's gospel, Nathaniel says, can anything good come from Nazareth? And so maybe they were outright rejected. Whatever the reason was, here's the point that I think Luke is making, and this is the point that he's setting us up for. Luke is saying that Jesus came to his own, and his own did not receive him. There was no room. His own did not receive him. But there's also a lesson for us, I think, tonight. And the lesson kind of follows that same pattern as we think through it. I know this last year, two years, how long have we been in this COVID scenario? It seems like going on forever. And our lives have become a little more complicated, perhaps, a little more chaotic, a little more anxiety, a little more fracturing of relationships. And, and our lives are becoming more and more full of stuff. And maybe, maybe just maybe there's no room for Jesus. Maybe there's no room for faith. Maybe we've just lost the energy and the enthusiasm and the excitement to talk about the things of God or explore those things. Perhaps there's no room for Jesus at Christmas. And perhaps the reasons are something similar. Perhaps something is occupying our lives first. Perhaps something uh, beat Jesus to the punch, so to speak, in our lives. Whether it's our ambition or anxiety or maybe pain that we're carrying, or a pursuit of pleasure, for whatever reason, our lives are already occupied, and so there's no room for Jesus. Remember Jesus tells the story of the farmer that goes out, scatters seed, and it falls on different kinds of soil, and there's some of the seed falls among the thorns. And this is what Jesus says is the meaning of that. He says, as the seed of the Word of God is scattered, all too quickly the message of Jesus is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, the desire for other things, and so no fruit is produced. Is that us? That just the worries of life have crowded out our opportunity to reflect on Jesus. Or perhaps there's another reason. Perhaps we don't recognize the relevance or the importance of Jesus. Perhaps we've just kind of relegated Jesus to the margins or the sidelines. In Mark chapter 6, it talks about Jesus going back to his hometown, back to Nazareth. And as he gets there, he begins to teach in the synagogue. And some of his local boys, they come around and they see Jesus teaching. And they say, what's he doing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? And his brothers James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. I always feel bad for Simon because everybody else got J names, Right? You can't do that. You have to be consistent. But there's Jesus and James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. But also he says, and aren't his sisters here with us as well? And they took offense at him because it's just Jesus. I wonder if that's sometimes our attitude. It's just Jesus. I mean, I'll get to it when I have time or maybe when I'm older or maybe when I see its relevance or importance. And so we make no room for Jesus because we don't see the relevance or importance. Or perhaps in the third instance, it's outright rejection. We've been there, done that. We've tried it, and it didn't work. Or maybe we say there's too many hypocrites in the church. 
I don't want to be part of that. Or perhaps we say, how can God be loving and yet allow so much suffering in the world? Have you ever asked that question? I have. I think God's big enough for us to ask those kind of questions. But we reject Jesus because of our pain, our confusion, or our anger. And so there's no room for Jesus. So what do we do with that? Well, in 1853, an artist by the name of William Holman Hunt, some of you have maybe seen this painting before or heard of this, he painted something he titled The Light of the World, and it's a painting of Jesus standing at a door, and actually in his hand, he's holding a lantern. And somebody said, out of curiosity, there's no handle on the outside. And Holman Hunt said, that's intentional, because the handle is on the inside. And Holman Hunt was reflecting on a verse in the Bible, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, which said, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. That's the paradox of grace. Grace in this whole story is all about God, and yet God waits patiently for our response. We need to open the door. So will we make room for Jesus at Christmas during this time? I believe that the secret to receiving the gifts that we've been talking about all Advent season, the gift of hope and of joy and of peace and love, I believe the key to unlocking that is found in Jesus. And so I encourage us to make room for Jesus tonight. John chapter 1 says this, He came to that which was his own, and his own did not receive him, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the power to become the children of God. 